0: Uh... <laughs>
1: And welcome to the JLA Cast. Uh, it's John here. Uh, just a very quick message uh, to explain something and also to apologize. Uh, the episode you're about to listen to, um, PJ and I had terrible technical problems while trying to make this one a reality. Um, we're, we're, we're gonna claim claim innocence on our part. Like uh we, the exact same setup we always do, nothing changed apart from. Uh, Skype, (laughs) Uh, mostly on PJ's end, kind of on my end as well. But yeah, for some reason, uh, the technical gogs were against us. um, And we, we, you know, we pressed on for as long as we could, but we actually decided that given how badly it was going, we decided to kind of cut our losses and salvage what we had rather than actually completing the episode. So, sadly, or positively, if you're feeling, uh, you know, optimistic, um, we have begun the JLA-classified ultramarine core story. Uh, we are having to put issue one uh, on hold and split it across two episodes. So you are going to get a good portion of PJ and I talking about JLA in general, talking a little bit about the authority, a little bit about uh, some exciting news from DC publishing headquarters. Um, and we start talking about uh, the Knight and Squire, which I think will be of interest to the Morrison fans among you, which frankly should be, 100% of you, because otherwise, why are you listening to this podcast? Uh, and then we bail. So, uh, yeah, so please enjoy what is effectively the first half of our discussion about issue one of JLA Classified. We figured that that rather than just leave you waiting for a whole month, we're going to let you (laughs) kind of enjoy what you got so far and then we'll pick this up next time uh, when technology is more on our side. Uh, We're very sorry, folks. We really were looking forward to talking about this and we really tried. Uh, But just, I don't know, the stars had not aligned. So, hey, please enjoy... Please enjoy what Morrison chat we have, because we're very keen to be getting back onto a Morrison JLA book. Uh, and we will join you again next episode for the exciting continuation of this exciting story. So thank you, folks. Well, hello and welcome to the JLA cast, a podcast in which we explore life in the time of Grant Morrison across the DC universe and beyond. My name's John and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife
0: Inc. And I'm PJ and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll Tooth you know, PJ, this is one episode where we probably could have justified
1: going back to our original, um, oh got our, our our original intro, and I can't remember it. It's been too long. Oh,
0: oh have you not? Ah, oh, I was gonna say you could redo it now. Just, just, just go back and do it. But you oh. you can't remember. Have you not got it written down anywhere? Uh, I had it written down,
1: and then I wrote down the new one, and then I committed the new one to memory after. You know, being very unprofessional for a few months, and now it's completely, it's completely overwritten. Any memories I, I, I've made before that point.
0: Quick fire up the intro to an old episode.
1: <laughs> yeah, everyone at home just like quickly skip to an old episode and then come back to this one. <laughs> yeah, just just literally for the intro, and then yeah, that's it. <laughs> because I'm, I'm 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 thinking about it, casting my mind back, and I'm looking back at the spreadsheet. We finished the main Morrison JLA run. In issue, in episode 65 of this illustrious podcast. Wow. We then had an episode where we let the dust settle. (laughs) We then did Final Night, uh, Final Crisis, Colong Superman Beyond, which was a Grant Morrison one, but not a JLA title. Mm -hmm. And then JLA Paradise Lost. JLA Year One and now we're here. So it has been I'd forgotten what? we'd done Paradise Lost. I know, I know, it's mad. <laughs> um Frankly, I think probably everyone involved in the creation of that comic has forgotten they made Paradise
0: Lost. Um, wow. I mean it's it's one of those comics that's sort of it's it's fun, but it's also forgettable, you know? Yeah, I think I think Paradise Lost is almost,
1: by its nature, was almost like in you know, weaponized, designed to almost be forgettable. It's a character that we like but the world wasn't really crying out for a uh more content for yeah and uh, and dc has done nothing with since so i guess kind of mission accomplished i suppose yeah exactly (laughs) yeah very bizarre so so yeah so it has been uh gosh like a 25 episodes since we we were last on a morrison jla book uh not that we haven't had morrison in that time but yeah, this is this is the the eternal return, PJ. This is the this is the grand the grand return to the series that that really brought us all here today. Um, which I guess is 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 two on it's true on two two levels because this is Morrison's big return to JLA and our big return to Morrison's JLA. Yeah,
0: and it's a weird one because I do not have the emotional connection to this story that I do to the rest of the Morrison JLA run because mm. the the rest of Morrison's JLA, JLA one to whichever issue it was they <laughs> left with um, the end of World War III. 41. 41, thank you. That, but also then all the other series around it. So including the series we didn't enjoy quite so much when we re-looked at them, like Final Night, DC 1 million, all the other extra bits that were coming out at the same time. So you're... World Without Grown Ups, The technis Imperative, all that sort of stuff. I bought and devoured that multiple times and have a real strong connection to all of it. And then, obviously, this is JLA Classified 1 to 3, the first three issues to launch what was essentially a JLA anthology book where it would be creators would come on and do a story and then they would leave and another set of creators would come in. And this was 2005? Yes. So... Yeah, it was sort of after the fact, so it's something I read the, the the those three issues, and then I've never gone back to.
1: Yeah, and it's funny I have only seen this, I've only seen this story as a trade. I I remember I think I at one point in my life I I saw it on a shelf in a local uh, local bookshop. I believe I flicked through it because I had some kind of sense memory of um, gorillas. And uh, <laughs> and the micro universe, and um, then I didn't think about it for years, and I I can't remember when I got. I think I think actually no, I got hold of this trade
0: in the time we've been recording, and uh, yeah, same same. I, I bought it a couple of months ago, but specifically because I knew we would be doing this. And
1: I have to say, PJ, I I am like a man who's been in the desert getting like a, a drop of water, like. I, I, like I said, like you, I do not have the emotional connection to this story because I came to it very late, but I, I sorry, spoilers everyone, I love this story.
0: <laughs> I'm having a
1: great time. I think Morrison's having a great time and I'm having a great time reading it. I'm I'm just so hungry for more.
0: Yeah, no, I think I I have, I'm going to be, There's, a, I have a couple of nitpicks with the start of it, just the, the first bit of this issue. Oh, cool, cool. But overall, I do really, really like it. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's just lovely to have Morrison back on JLA writing these characters. Obviously, it's not quite the same team, because there's no Kyle, because Morrison had to work with the JLA that was available to them at the time. You know, it's not like they were relaunching JLA and could put together the team they wanted. This was the spin-off book, so they had to work with the team that was being used in the main book by a different creative team, so... Well, yes yeah.
1: that's, that's interesting in itself because surely, I mean, you you would probably know better than I would, PJ, but the JLA Classified um, series or project, uh, as you say, meant to be a kind of JLA anthology, like a, a supporting title to go along mm. with a main one. Um, in my head, I keep confusing it with, um, uh, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, uh, JLA Secret Files and Origins. So yeah. I... I keep thinking that it's meant to be telling stories from, like, different points in the JLA's history. So I think in my head, I was always a bit confused why, for example, it wasn't Kyle and bearded Aquaman, you know, because I, I was like, oh, surely Morrison could have just jumped into that time period if they wanted. But no, was it It was very much meant to be contemporary to the main series.
0: Yeah, which is why it's Aquaman in, in his classic outfit, but with a, a hand made of water, and Jon Stewart is Green Lantern. And, and, you know... Kyle is my favorite green lantern but I do love John Stewart as well so I'm absolutely fine with that.
1: Well uh-huh. and again, and again this is quite fitting because we touched upon uh last episode uh the Justice League cartoon. Yeah which, which is ha- why John Stewart was brought into the book. Yeah, I've, yeah indeed and and it, I'm just trying to kind of put this uh, get the timeline straight in my head because this is uh, uh this is January 2005. Hmm. Uh the series debuted I believe in 2001. Yes, uh, and I'm I'm trying to think where this story actually falls in main mainstream JLA continuity because Kyle leaves uh, during the events of the Obsidian Age story. I want to say, uh, yeah,
0: yeah, that was quite a big shakeup for the team in the end. That was, wasn't it, the, the Obsidian Age.
1: Yeah, because that was post Wade and Porter leaving the series. And then it was Joe Kelly and I believe initially uh, a rotating cast of artists and then settling
0: into um, Doug Mank on main art duties. So it looks like, I've just Googled which issue of JLA was January 2005. The one that's cover dated 2005 is issue 108, which is the second part of the Kurt Busick crime syndicate story. Oh, good grief. That's quite late yeah
1: wow oh wow that's much later than i thought it would be no that would make sense because i um i think i've said on air before but i obviously i have the morrison run i have bits of the wade run and then i started collecting again uh during the um the joe kelly run which i really got into like it's not the jla it's not the magnificent seven yeah. But I liked the characterization. I liked the weirdness of it. It was a very weird cast of characters, like yeah. Faith, um, Manitou, Raven, um, Major Disaster. Um, and John Stewart is great in that story. I say like um the Burning storyline, which mm. deals with Martian heritage. Like John Stewart is is there's some incredible moments in that story. So like and again, always gonna carry a torch for Kyle, but like John is a great addition.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed, and you know they they changed his costume as well. They put him in the costume they have in the animated series. That's mm. that's where that costume debuted. Before that, if he was Green Lantern, it was just in a in the same costume as Hal. The um I, God, the
1: interesting thing is it, it it's funny because like big Kurt Busick fan, big JLA Avengers fan, but it was interesting that I do think the Kurt Busick JLA story that it was immediately followed on after um after the events of jla avengers so post issue 100 post joe kelly leaving the series um i think that was the last book i picked up i think that was when i just kind of drifted away from the jla
0: well to be honest that's towards the end because right after kurt Busick, you get the um uh, identity crisis tie-in stuff that would um, make sense, yeah. By Jeff Johns and Alan Heinberg, and then that goes into sort of prepping for Infinite Crisis, I guess.
1: Yeah, the and forgotten then, the Forgotten Crisis, as as DC themselves call it.
0: Yeah, um, but you know, one of the better crises. <laughs> I <think for> <laughs> um, yeah, Infinite Crisis stuff then. Uh, yeah, because it goes crisis of conscience, which is the identity crisis stuff. Then it's the countdown to Infinite Crisis series, and then they relaunched it after that as Justice League of America after mm. Infinite Crisis. So, it's so the funny, Brad Meltzer it's so like, series. Obviously,
1: um, you know things change. You know you can't you can't keep a series in. Oh well, the external. We could. I'm not going to go into this again. Like the external battle between wanting a series to evolve and also kind of wanting to maintain the status quo is the exact dilemma that affects any long-running every long-running superhero title. But um it, it is funny like, you know, what has changed because like Aquaman I remember like Aquaman running around during the Kurt Busiek Crime Syndicate storyline, you know, clean-shaven with his with his water hand. Mm. And and that was a big shock for me, you know, and he's never quite felt like
0: my Aquaman again, really. It's weird. It it just Changing Aquaman's look that way just makes him feel more like the character in year one. It Mm. it just looks more naive, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Um,
1: Yeah, and and I believe like the... Oh, gosh. This was at a period where obviously he lost his hand battling a villain called, I want to say, Charybdis, who stole his powers and mind-controlled a bunch of piranhas to eat his hand, I want to say.
0: Yeah, something like that.
1: Gains the old hook, you know, like you do. And then at a later point, I believe he encounters the Lady of the Lake and she gives him the magic water hand.
0: That was when they tried relaunching him in a solo series, um, which I bought like the first two issues of, I think, because I was curious about this water hand thing. And he was... um, um, He was still in the long haired metal vest costume just with a water hand for a time. I can't I'm not sure when he switched back, cut his hair and switched <laughs> back to the classic costume.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny one, isn't it? Like um I, I think DC themselves have always struggled a little bit to know what to do with Aquaman. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's gone through has oh gosh, there's a question. Has he gone through the most the most reboots? The most character redesigns? The origins, the focus?
0: I think in terms of major redesigns, obviously there have been minor redesigns to Batman's costume every year or two, but it still (laughs) remains fundamentally the same sort of shape, doesn't it? But Aquaman's probably the most,
1: yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe in a a close second, Wonder Woman, to some extent. Mm, Yeah. Because I feel they have this dilemma with Wonder Woman where I think they acknowledge that having her run around in a strapless swimsuit... Is, is maybe, like, not the best, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, of course, they've tried many times to find a better costume for her. I think the only issue is, is that that costume is very iconic. And I think they've yet to find one that does everything they want, but, but also kind
0: of feels that same kind of symbolic vibe. I think the problem they've got is it's what Linda Carter wore in the live-action TV series, isn't it? So yeah. that's the costume people think of. Um, I feel like they'd have more leeway now to go with something closer to what Gal Gadot wore in the Justice League films with the skirt. Because, to be fair, the costumes in those films were not the issues. <laughs>
1: so... No. No, it, it's so funny, isn't it? And, um, you know, and, and God, like the, <laughs> you know, uh, shall we just say, like, um, as, as – artwork mirrored contemporary cuts of swimwear um there were periods where uh, her costume has been more and less practical shall yes. we say yes um but i it wouldn't take much again the addition of like a kind of uh uh like a a greek-esque like battle skirt so to speak yeah. seems good seems to have done a lot for the character yeah <laughs> yeah as long as they keep some bright colors in there that's all i ask like
0: yeah um, yeah like you know, keep it gold, red, and blue. I, 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 you know, I know they tried it with silver a while ago. I was like, no, no, keep it gold. <laughs> but
1: I, 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 this will be like, I'll be on my deathbed, PJ. I'll be a hundred and two because I'm going to live a long time, and uh, I'll, I'll be still moaning about how every quote-unquote realistic interpreta- interpretation of a superhero costume is just very, very dark.
0: Yeah. People are
1: so scared of primary colors; it's wild.
0: They're coming back, I think. If you look at the movies now, they're getting a bit more comic accurate. With, I mean, look at the photos from the Deadpool three set, where they've got Hugh Jackman as Wolverine in a yellow and blue. Outfit.
1: Yes, quite, quite. I think I think the the latest one that kind of made me die a little inside was um, the costumes from the Marvels, because I thought um, I haven't Mar- seen it yet. I've only, I haven't either. I've only seen skills, and I, I think like Ms. Marvel's costume, Photon's costumes—they're brilliant. They're so colourful, they're so bright. And then Captain Captain Marvel's has got all the right colours, but like they're just so kind of like like grey. Like it's okay. kind of like black, blue, and black, red, and black, gold. I'm like, oh come on, guys, <laughs> come
0: on. To be fair, Miss, Miss Marvel's costume in the—I know they've updated it for the film slightly, so I'm, I, I haven't really seen it clearly. But in the TV show, it was just the comic book, costume, yes, and it looked yeah. fantastic.
1: Well, that's another—you
0: uh, know—and
1: another thing, PJ, while I'm while I'm while I'm kind of ranting, uh, uh, we've we've also seen in the, in the movies, and I think in the comics to some extent, this idea that you have to constantly reiterate on a costume, mm. like, um, I, I mean, I'll. I'll bring up the Flash's costume in um, the new 52. Mm. Just so ugly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, just come on, guys. You,
0: you, you nailed it. Just just be happy. You got it right. Just Just bask in that glory. I feel like there was a period a few years ago, I don't know if it's still the case, but where a new artist would come onto a book and that new artist would then just have to redesign everything and yeah. put their stamp on it. Whereas obviously back in the day a new artist would come on a book and they'd still just be drawing the classic costume. Mm. And just, you don't have to innovate every time. No. Sometimes just do the classic thing really well, and that's what people will remember you for. It's like iPhones, PJ.
1: Yeah. You know. It, <laughs> he said, having never owned an iPhone, but like you can't you can't keep innovating. You've kind of done it once. There's nowhere to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well bj i mean uh i i say like you know what where are we previously what's like previously happened in jla but like
0: effectively nothing has happened like previously like well, this is a clean break something's happening in the real world of jla uh, if i may briefly um they're doing new editions of grant morrison's jla again what yeah i didn't know, I didn't know this yeah i saw it where is it um The other week. Uh, Yeah, there's new editions coming out, but it seems to collect more stuff. Okay. So I'm sure I saw... When is it coming out? JLA. Nope, that's not it. Uh... I'm beside myself. This is amazing. Yeah, because it... it, Like, Volume 1, which is... um, I cannot find it. It was on blue sky or facebook the other day i think um hold on yeah but it like it collects everything so i think it's got like paradise lost in it um
1: interesting interesting okay yeah which
0: would be the first time they'll have put that in in a trade well (laughs) hang on hang on a minute hang on a minute pj where's our where's
1: our uh, royalty check we we've we paved the way for this well yeah
0: true (laughs) But why now, do you think? Why now? I don't know. Um, I can't find it. If cannot I cannot find it. I'm sure I saw this the other day. Well, PJ, I'll, I'll take your
1: word as gospel. Um, but here's a question for you. Is it because they're aware that on some level that um, maybe the wider public's knowledge and understanding of JLA has waned somewhat? Um, you know, you could have the Justice League movies and they've kind of, generally speaking, I say, confused and left people cold. Um, And then they're like, okay, well, what's arguably the best and most influential Justice League series we ever put out? Let's get that back into the mainstream. Let's get that back into the public public consciousness ahead of the the, the upcoming rebooted movies.
0: Possibly, yeah. Um, And it, you know, maybe... Because I feel like those films, the new films, James Gunn is sort of going back to, well, it's not sort of trying to reflect recent DC comics, is is the impression I get. Yeah. It's sort of going for a more classic take on them. Which is potentially, you know, there's a
1: school of thought that says that that's how you should do an adaptation of something is like you're trying to find the iconic, platonic idea of those characters, which which is kind of free from the whims of, you know, editorial and kind of like changing storytelling styles. You want the yeah. iconic Batman, the iconic Superman on the screen, rather than an World's tale.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, I'm sure I I read somewhere, I cannot find it now, so it might be bull, but that there are going to be new editions of JLA coming out and it will collect like the the Secret Files and Origins story. It will have New World Order. It will have Paradise Lost, the Tomorrow Woman one shot, which I don't think we even looked at because I wasn't aware it was a thing. No, hang on a minute. No, this is new. Yeah. Uh, Okay, well,
1: and, and, and you heard it here first, folks, and most importantly, uh, we'll feature new forwards by uh, by your two hosts, uh, John and PJ. I'm sure I that's wish. definitely going to happen.
0: I wish I would <laughs> write that in a heartbeat.
1: Hey PJ, maybe we're entering the golden the golden era of our podcast when like a bunch of people will be like, "Oh man, I've just discovered this cool series yeah. from from <laughs> the, the before times. I need some people to guide me through it." Sorry, was gulping down coffee. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. Well, PJ, um, I've heard a bit of um it's kind of tangentially related, but I've heard a little bit of movie news as well via oh, yeah. Sam, a friend of friend of the show, who uh, kind of was telling me that there have been some developments in a recent DC title. So, uh I think I know the answer to this, PJ, but are you following the outsiders at nope. the moment? No, no, indeed. Now, <laughs> is the correct answer, because, I mean, who is? But the Outsiders being one of those, like, um, long-running DCE uh, team names that's just gone through, like, so many different incarnations. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's hard to really think of an iconic Outsiders team now. But the current Outsiders is Batwoman and Batwing. Uh, again, I I don't know much more about, I don't know much more about the team. I I don't really know what's going on there, but they have recently stepped through a portal or something and found themselves on a giant multiversal shift ship capable of sailing between universes. Right. And it's one we recognize.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Is it the one from Superman Beyond? No, it's the other one, PJ. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's 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 the one from the Authority. Oh, right. Okay, the one that cameoed in Superman Beyond.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, so out of nowhere, uh, it has turned into this. Apparently, this series Outsiders has turned into a backdoor um, Authority slash Wildstorm story. Oh, okay. Because of uh, I think someone at again editorial realized that like, hang on a minute, there's an Authority movie coming out. And we've started to announce casting. Also, like we're not publishing an iconic authority title in any way. And uh, what are we going to do about that? So I think uh, so. Question mark. PJ. Spoiler. Uh, clickbait. Authority to return to the DC mainstream?
0: Question mark. Um, have they gone away from the DC mainstream? I I don't know what what DC are doing with the authority these days. I don't
1: think, and I don't think anyone knows. I think this is the problem. Like. The Authority as a team, which I was a big, I was, I was a big fan of the Authority for uh, at a point in my life. Um, they only work in a universe where you don't have the Justice League. Hmm. Like actually, this is kind of relevant, PJ, because you could draw some parallels between the Authority and the Ultramarine yes. Corps. Uh you know superheroes who don't have. There are no lines they won't cross. They'll do whatever it takes to including, you know, kill people to kind of save the world. Um, And when you have a clash of those ideologies in a world where you have Superman, like Superman just wouldn't stand for that. It just wouldn't happen. So I think it's very, it's very hard to make the authority work. In the mainstream DC universe, which is why they were never part of the mainstream DC universe. They were, they were in the Wildstorm universe where they played a very important role. So, so yeah, I I don't know, PJ. It's it's interesting
0: to me. I think, 19- aren't they're part of James Gunn's plans though for the mo- new movie universe? Aren't they? The authority. They are. Yeah. So we'll see how that works.
1: But also, I mean, like the whole point again. It was kind of a joke originally, but the characters yeah. the characters grew into more realized characters. But even the, the characters of um, Apollo and the Midnighter, you know, kind of like they're effectively meant to be a gay yeah. couple who are Superman and Batman analogues. And that works if you're in a parallel, well, a different universe where there is no Superman and Batman like, it just kind of get, get, begins to strain credibility why you would have two solar-powered superheroes who are both Superman-esque when one of them is Superman and one of them is Apollo. It's... it's, I don't know. DC own those characters. I'm sure they want to do something with them. But, again, I don't know. Maybe they should have just left them in their own universe. I, I really don't know what's going on there.
0: Maybe treat them the same way Marvel treat the uh, the Squadron Supreme and have them in their alternate universe, and then occasionally they just meet up with the Justice League and punch each other.
1: I think that's fair. I mean, (laughs) I I think that's fair, PJ. I mean, and again, um, can we get you in a room somewhere with some of the people making these decisions? Because I think that is the simplest and most elegant solution.
0: John, do Uh, we need to stage a coup and take over DC Comics? Is this what you're suggesting, you and me? I would never say that on air, PJ, but (laughs) wink. You know, winks don't make it into an auditory medium, so we're fine. Would you if say we did have control of DC, would we reboot it again just so we could make it the universe we wanted, the one from the nineties? Or Well, that's always the danger, isn't it? You don't wanna be yeah. you don't wanna be the old man going in and
1: saying, like, no, it was better in my day. But yeah. at the same time, maybe I wouldn't call it a reboot, soft or hard. I would just very quietly start telling simpler stories (laughs) that would be my goal that would be my goal i would try to detach i would like to start telling stories about the justice league rather than telling stories about the multimedia global franchise that is the justice league does that make sense yeah it does i think (laughs) <laughs> we need to step back from the metaness a little bit and uh yeah. just think these are characters having contained realistic adventures in their own world and just kind of leave it at that
0: yeah agreed agreed <sighs>
1: ah but pj uh enough about the justice league let's do a story where there's very
0: little justice league in it Woohoo! (laughs) Woohoo! And, you know, I'm just going to say, complete coincidence, but uh, I've been watching Justice League with my son. Yes! This week, we watched The Brave and the Bold, the two-parter featuring Gorilla Grodd. Oh, there we go. There's something in the air, PJ. Power's Booth was superb as Grodd in those cartoons. Like, like, I know those cartoons had amazing voice casts, like, possibly better than they deserved, because, my God. (laughs) Again, it was that glorious
1: era where. They, they had nobody telling them they couldn't. Yeah. And so when faced with the challenge of adapting the Justice League, they went iconic, they went colourful, and they just thought, well, why wouldn't we hire the best? Because I mean, it, it's a cartoon. It's not something to be ashamed of. We'll just hire amazing voice actors. Eric Roberts as Mongol. Oh, my God, he's brilliant. It's all brilliant. Everything about that show. Why, why are you listening to us? Go, go watch that go watch our cartoon oh, now. It's on Netflix. So good. Okay, PJ, should we give a little bit of context? Um, When last we saw the Ultramarine Corps, what was going on? Who are the
0: Ultramarine Corps? So, um, basically, perceiving the Justice League of of America as a potential global threat. uh, No, I'm not reading the Secret Files and Origins bit they put at the beginning. What are you talking about? (laughs) Paraphrase, PJ. (laughs) So, yeah, the Ultramarine Corps were created by General Wade Eiling uh, as... Basically to take down the Justice League because he thought that the Justice League weren't protecting American interests and he needed an American military super team. So he gave them all superpowers, but the superpowers were also killing them and made them fight the Justice League. And then he tried to fight the Justice League in the body of the Shaggy Man. The Ultramarine Corps realized they were in the wrong and teamed up with the Justice League to defeat Eiling, the Justice League fixed them so they weren't dying anymore, and they went and we're going to go and be a super team of our own but a more hardcore one than the Justice League and you had four members, uh Warmaker 1, Pulse 8, Flow and 4D and at the end of the issue they'd also been joined by some other people Yeah, and they have
1: made their own floating city called Superbia And I think when we last see them, they say they are opening their doors to both, uh, you know, refugees from the world over. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're declaring themselves uh, free of, I don't know, any kind of sovereign law. Uh, They are a free state and they invite any kind of superheroes who wish to join them to come and do so. And And they will do what they have to. They'll kill if they have to. But, you know, if they have to kill, they'll let you know. Um, and yeah, and they go on a bit of a, rec- a recruitment drive. We get some f- familiar faces and and some we haven't seen before.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, w- who was it in that issue? You had um, ah, uh, you had Gypsy. Uh, she? No, you had
1: you had Vixen.
0: Vixen, yes. yes. Uh,
1: Jack lantern yes. Who I believe there have been a few Jack lanterns in DC continuity. Um, I think that one of them may have been associated with the global guardians for a while when that was a kind of multicultural team
0: jack-o'-lantern is a dc character i am
1: not familiar with no i know nothing i think there's also been like a marvel jack-o'-lantern as well yes so I, know, I know nothing about the character
0: well that was it. the marvel one i at least know was jason McIndale and he then became the hobgoblin oh pj bravo one of the many hobgoblins <laughs>
1: bravo pj that's amazing um The introduction of a a character who, up until this story, I think had literally only appeared in one panel in just in that story, which was Goraiko, who's like an atomic sumo wrestler. Yeah, giant silver man. (laughs) And also, PJ, and and I've done some reading on this, I've done some background reading, Uh, Knight and Squire. Hmm. Now, what do we know about Knight and Squire, PJ?
0: Well, they are – so this was weird. Back in – I can't remember if it was the 40s, 50s. I believe uh, it was the 50s. Yeah, there was, like, the the Batman of many nations, uh, which was Batmans from different countries, and Knight and Squire were the, ostensibly, Batman and Robin of Great Britain. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, only
1: introduced – effectively for, like, a, a one-off, kind of, like, forgotten story from the 50s um, – not especially fleshed out. Um, you know, we had um the Bat the Batmens, the Batmans of um Britain, France, uh a Native American Batman, Man of Bats, uh Italian. Uh characters whom the world probably would have forgotten about if it weren't for Grant Morrison. Uh and like I said, PJ, I've been doing a bit of background reading here and I've I've been flicking through some other grant morrison projects because i've been tracing the timeline of knight and squire appearances Mm. as written by grant morrison and this is fascinating pj uh may i may i read something to you briefly absolutely so i'm holding in my hand uh the deluxe collected edition of the second volume of batman and robin written by grant morrison which is when uh dick grayson took over as batman when Bruce was apparently dead, and um, Damian Wayne was Robin. And in the special features, I found this kind of interesting. There's a little section on Knight and Squire. <clears throat> Pardon me. With notes from Morrison. So, PJ, this is uh, Knight and Squire in Morrison's own works. Okay. And this, and this book came out in, I want to say this was originally released in... Well, The Trade came out in... Twenty ten, yeah. It says originally published as Batman and Robin seven to twelve in twenty ten. Okay, this is twenty ten. PJ, uh, I introduced the new Squire and Knight in the pages of JLA back in nineteen ninety eight, and I've been slipping them into stories like JLA Classified one to three, and Batman six six seven to six six nine ever since. For some reason, I'll never be able to explain. This pair have developed a complex, intricate backstory and a web of relationships that, that so far exists solely in my head and is only hinted at in these brief appearances. <laughs> my redesign of the Squire was intended to reference the British comic characters Beryl the Peril and Minnie the Minx. That, those, yes. Yes. Those tomboy anarchists headed their own weekly humour strips in the venerable UK titles Topper and Beano, respectively, as well as the character Monkey from the film Quadrophenia, as played by Toya Wilcox.
0: Oh my God.
1: And there are two scans of, like, very, uh, just kind of like ink drawings from Morrison themselves from 1998, detailing the design of Knight and Squire as they would appear in that one panel at the end of the original Ultramarine Corps story yeah in uh in uh, back in
0: 1998 in jla 26 <laughs> wow i can see all of those influences in squad and this this was morrison's thing on their batman run wasn't it they would bring back all these stories and concepts from the golden and silver age that were no longer technically in continuity or really fit what batman was in the modern age but change them and twist them so they did kind of work oh yeah it's it's it's, it's so funny like um Again, in trying to trace like
1: Knight and Squire and, and flicking through you know the stories that came after JLA, it is again fascinating that there is this like private universe in Morrison's head that they seem to be allowed to they seem to be allowed to run with in a way that other creators aren't. Um, and yeah, and it's so funny. Like um, I was rereading the um, the uh, it's the um, Batman the Batman of Many Nations slash Club of Heroes story from um, the Black Glove collected trade of the Morrison run on Batman. And that is a fantastic, I would say fantastic little three-parter. Uh, Morrison writing, J.H. Uh, Williams III illustrating. And it is a really, really strong little kind of bottle story about all these characters originally, originally introduced in a forgotten story from the 50s who were inspired by Batman to become heroes in their, in their own country and um it's just got some wonderful characterization it's it's like, a, it's like a murder mystery on a on a spooky island with all these batman and it's it's just wonderful it's really really good i'd thoroughly recommend it and i think i think one of the fun things about that story is how from uh the Knight and squire's perspective they're picking up kind of directly from this story like not directly so to speak but like every time they check in with batman They're like, all right, Batman, how you doing? Haven't seen you for a while. You know, oh, remember that weird thing with the, you know, with Grodd and all that. Anyway, (laughs) we're off now to disappear for a few years. But when we next turn up, we'll catch up again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a great bit where one of the, uh, I think it's wingman, is kind of being a bit disparaging towards the night. And he says like, oh, well, you know, last time he went on an adventure, he ended up getting mind controlled by a gorilla. Uh, and then, like Gaucho, who's the um, Batman of Argentina, basically goes like, "Yeah, haven't you? Like, who hasn't been mind-controlled by a gorilla?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm a wondering if the the Batman of many nations came before or after the Green Arrows of the world, which turned up in Jack Kirby's run on Green Arrow in the '50s.
1: Is that a thing? Oh, I
0: did Yeah, know. I don't. They they never revisited that. It was Bill Finger and Green Arrow in 1958. Are they all called Green Arrow or do they go for like different uh, colors? Ace Archer, Phantom of France, Bowman of the Bush, Bowman of Britain, Troubadour, <laughs> and then a, a number of unnamed archers. Wow. And there was one well, called the Green Bowman. The Green Bowman. I mean, it's very its, it's very literal, I suppose.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know, it's weird. Like I, I, I think that Morrison has a lot of affection for Knight and Squire. And I think that is evidenced in this story. Like we spend a lot of time with them. And in many ways, like Knight is quite, I don't know, our main character in a way, for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. Oh, and another another kind of inspiration, PJ. Um, uh do you remember General Jumbo? The character no i don't oh, wait no from the Bino, from the beano yes with his
0: radio control yes
1: yes so that is another that is another inspiration so knight and squire are kind of morrison's like weird little homages
0: to like a bunch of like weird british comics characters <laughs> uh the the Batman of all nations precede the green arrows of the world by three years and hey, it's John again. Uh, we
1: are pressing pause or cut or stop or whatever you want to call it there. Um, but we will return next episode for a proper, full-on, full-fat discussion of JLA Classified Issue 1, including, there's well, frankly, there's probably going to be more, more talking about the Nighting Squire because I could talk for hours about this. Uh, um, fascinating well of um, Mori- Mo- Morrisonia? Mo- Morrisonality? And also in-depth references to old British comics. So, yeah, thanks, everyone. Sorry again for the technical problems. I hope you enjoyed what you did here. Join us next uh, next episode for the continuation of JLA Classified Issue
0: 1.